Hi, this is Ian Harvey, Tokyo US Brand Manager. <clears throat> I'm here with Keegan Randall. Keegan has 262 starts in World Cup, World Championship, and Olympic Games. Of these international starts, she has reached the podium in individual races 31 times, including 13 victories. Keegan has won the overall Sprint World Cup three times and was third in the overall World Cup in 2013. In the 2018 Olympic Games, Keegan won the gold medal in the team sprint with Jesse Diggins. In addition to her 17 U.S. national championship titles, this five-time Olympian won individual silver and bronze medals, as well as a team sprint gold medal in world championships. Keegan has served and continues to serve on numerous boards and commissions, including the FIS, the IOC, the U.S. OPC, and the U.S. Ski and Snowboard as well as, as, well as many others. Keegan is also deservedly well-known for the countless hours that she has devoted to fast and female in the past. In April 2018, Keegan was diagnosed with breast cancer. A longtime Alaska resident, Keegan and her four-year-old son, Breck, currently live in British Columbia. Keegan, thank you so much for being with me today. It's my honor, of course, to interview you. Oh, well, my pleasure, Ian. You know, it's, uh, it's fun to, uh, to hear all those stats and think about all the years and, and to think about when, when I think I first met you as I was headed on this journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, can you please tell us, although you were born in Salt Lake City while your mother was attending law school, uh, when did you move to Alaska and when did you start skiing? No, no, not start skiing. When did you move to Alaska? <laughs> I was going to say, well, the two were... Uh, um, not really. Uh, uh, <laughs> we moved to Alaska when I was three years old. Um, my mom had finished law school and her family was up in Alaska and she just wanted to come back and see her family for a bit um, while I was young. And so it initially was a temporary move. My dad wanted to kind of stay in the mountains. He uh, loved the ski towns down in Utah. Um, but once we got to Alaska, we got hooked on, you know, all the great family up there and all the great outdoor adventures. And uh, once up in Anchorage, uh, I got involved with the Anchorage Junior Nordic program at the age of six, uh, mm -hmm. is when I first tried cross-country skiing. Okay, so that's why I didn't want you to talk about that yet, because uh, it's complicated from what I understand. Well, I read that your father, Ron, started teaching you to ski when you were one year old. Is that true? It is true. So while we were in Salt Lake, uh, my dad was working at the rental shop up in Deer Valley. So on my first birthday, he brought home the smallest boots and skis they had and put me in them. And I, I don't think I was quite walking yet, but the boots kind of held up, uh, held me up and he made a little hill for me in the front yard. And I uh, started going down and, you know, of course I don't remember it that young, but he said I was smiling and enjoyed it. And then later on that winter, he took me up to Ulta and he'd put a rope around my waist and just kind of let me go. And so in a way I was kind of skiing before I could walk. Cool. Okay. In high school, you were a track and cross into running star, winning 10 state championship titles. Is it true that you only took up cross-country skiing in 1998 initially as a means to stay fit for competitive running? Totally. Um, I, you know, I dabbled with cross-country skiing through middle school. Um, and when I got into high school, it was kind of clear that I needed, I had been alpine racing and I needed to kind of choose whether to continue to pursue alpine or do cross-country in the winter. And all my running friends, we're doing cross country and I had ambitions to go run NCAA division one. And so I was like, Oh, well I'll do uh, Nordic skiing in the winter because it's a great cross training and all my friends are doing it. Um, and really it wasn't until my sophomore year of high school to the end of my sophomore year that I realized, wait a second, I actually kind of like this cross country skiing thing. Cool. As amazing as you are at skiing and obviously you're unique in your ability, how talented do you consider yourself in running? Do you think you could have achieved great things as an elite runner as well? It's a great question. Uh, you know, um, by the end of high school, I had run a, a nationally ranked 3,200 meter time. Um, I was, had a pretty solid uh, 1,600 meter time um, and certainly had gotten some attention from some bigger schools. Uh, but I knew a lot of Alaskan athletes that I had competed against that once they left Alaska and they started uh, college running, it was a big adjustment. It was a, a big uptick in mileage. It was the year round running, you know, which we do on a little in a little different way up in Alaska. And a lot of them ended up injured and burnt out. And so I like to think that I could have gotten in, if I'd gotten in a good program and kind of been able to ease into it, you know, I'm, I may have been able to, to rank nationally, but it's obviously a very competitive field. And, you know, one of my strengths in skiing was my muscular power. 
And I'm not sure I could have used that to the full advantage in running like I could in skiing. So I don't think I would have reached the levels in running that I have in skiing. So in 2001, you finished sixth in world juniors and you made the Olympic team in 2002, which is of course absolutely incredible from someone starting in 1998. So you're very good. You have a lot of talent and fitness, obviously, when you started skiing. But I have, I have one question before I want to revisit that, and that is you come from a ski family of which most notable are your aunt and uncle Betsy and Chris Haynes, both cross-country skiers who represent the United States Olympic Games. Yet you didn't show interest in ski racing until 1998. Was this because you wanted to find your own path? Uh, I think just early on, I didn't really appreciate what an amazing sport cross-country skiing is. Um, you know, my early introduction to it was being outside in Alaska and it was cold and it was work to get up the hills. And I was willing to do it because I loved skiing down the downhills. Um, but once I kind of got into alpine racing and, and alpine skiing more, you know, I thought it was super cool that my aunt and uncle went to the Olympics. Um, to me, that made it feel like that ignited my Olympic dream and it made me feel like it was going to be possible. But I really thought I was going to do something way cooler than cross-country skiing. And, and so um, I just kind of tried all these different things and had really strong ambitions in each. But then ultimately, all those different experiences with the running and the alpine skiing and soccer and those things, I think ended up building the skill set that all came together in cross-country skiing. And as I started to realize all these different components that met up with my natural talents, I was also really intrigued by the fact that no American woman had ever won a medal in the sport. And to me, it was kind of like this exciting frontier of like, well, shoot, they've already won medals in Alpine. They've done it in running, but in skiing, like, wouldn't it be cool to try to be the first one? And, and, and the, what I was seeing too is like, well, there's no reason we couldn't do it. Um, just got to set your mind to it. Um, I was, I think, a little naive initially, but um, it was that was something that definitely excited me. Um, my our younger daughter Pearl shied away from cross country skiing originally, although, although um, of course we skied a lot as a family. But in terms of racing, she shied away from it. She was, I've I've had some success as a skier, of course, Olympics and national champions and so on. But my wife is an Olympic gold medalist and won three silvers and is. And she was probably asked a thousand times in her life or, or heard comments to the point of, um, well, of course you're fast if she did well in a race because look at your parents and all that kind of stuff. Did you ever get that with respect to your aunt and uncle? Was it, or were they far enough removed that the pressure wasn't on like that? To me, I never felt any pressure from it. To me, it was always like a confidence. Um, in high school, certainly Anchorage, you know, is a small place and because we don't have the professional sports teams in Alaska, the, the winter Olympians and really even the high school sports were, would get a lot of coverage like in the newspaper and, and on TV. So um, when I started to show success and people associated me with my aunt and uncle, they were like, wow, you know, well, look at this, the second generation's coming through and this is really cool. But to me, it was just, it was just exciting. And my aunt Betsy was also a really good runner and she had the mile record um, in, the, in the mile run. Um, for, for Alaska State High School. So it was my goal all the way through high school to try and beat her record. And I never did. I, um, I never got under five minutes. I ran five flat point two, but I could never get under five. And her, 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 mile, her mile converted to 1600, I think ended up being like 454 or something ridiculous, like extremely talented. So it was really cool to have those role models. Um, it was really cool to grow up in a family that loved to ski and um, love to be outside. And I think above and beyond what I've been able to do in the Olympics, I'm so grateful for that kind of upbringing. Um, and uh, so I, I thrived on it, but I think there were, I did see some of my other cousins who did feel the pressure um, and maybe then she kind of shied away from being super competitive because they just, yeah, they felt maybe it wasn't their, their true passion. Pearl shied away from ski racing, like I said, but she was really, really interested in being a competitive runner and was really fast. And I think once she realized that it was up to her whether she wanted to be a ski racer or not, and everything was on her terms, um, she became very motivated to, be, made it motivated to be a ski racer because she loves the activity. So it's neat to hear your version of that. You went from starting ski racing to making the Olympics in just three years. So I imagine because your development is so accelerated, the spotlight in terms of receiving comments like that was very abbreviated because in no time, in two years, you were six in world juniors. So 
it seems like it was a different path than what Pearl had, where she was, she probably heard it a thousand times in her life, which can alter a trajectory of a person's life, you know? For sure. And when you're young, you don't necessarily know the difference between others' expectations and, you know, what are your true expectations inside. And it takes a while, to, I think, to, to learn how to deal with that productively. And um, some people get thrust into a situation where they're kind of forced to deal with that right away. And I felt lucky that I just, I had like so much support and encouragement and this kind of like pathway that made me feel that things were possible, but I never felt like it was forced upon me. And um, so now it'll be interesting now that I have a son, you know, who will be the, the son of a gold medalist, you know, like, is he going to feel pressure? And, and I really want to be the parent who can expose him to a lot of things, you know, encourage him to, to try hard, you know, to fail if, you know, if, um, and be okay with that and, and just really figure out what, what he's excited about. And if he'll, if he goes into competitive sports, great. If he just wants to, you know, do it for a lifestyle, I'd, I'll be cool with that too. What you just said the last the whole thing from the beginning to the end was full of so much wisdom and experience. Um, I encourage listeners to hit the minus 30 seconds or minus minute on that and listen to it again, especially the part about being young and not being able to set expectations for yourself or, or manage expectation of others. I think that's a critical skill set. So Keegan, let's, let's, I have a, this is one question I've been dying to ask you. And that is you started skiing regularly and more seriously in 1998, as I mentioned, and in 2001, you already finished sixth in World Juniors. Talk about those few years and how you were able to make such amazing progress, because that right there is absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, well, I think for me, it was uh, a confluence of factors. And um, that certainly, I had uh, talent, and I had the right upbringing and role models. Um, to, to set me in that direction. But um, at the end of 10th grade, um, I had, I'd started off 10th grade with a broken collarbone uh, at the beginning of cross country running season. So I spent half that season rehabbing the collarbone on an exercise bike, having to fight my way back to running form. Then eight months later in the spring, a week into track season, uh, I broke forward vertebrae on my back doing a fun cross country ski race and just went off a jump wrong and crashed. And um, could have been like a very serious injury that could have altered my life. Thankfully, um, uh, I was able to recover from that, but I spent the better part of track season on that dang exercise bike again, fighting my way back. And so at the end of 10th grade, I had like had these kind of experiences with injuries, which I knew was going to be a part of running. And then at the same time, my running coach who had been my, who had run the summer training program was moving out of town. And so I needed a new training group. And I was best friends with my arch rival across town who was in the Alaska Winter Stars Ski Club. And I almost was going to join her uh, to do that program as a way to cross train in the summer. And my mom happened to, uh, her law partner knew a guy who was an Olympian who was starting a new ski program. And his name was Jim Galanis. And uh, through the encouragement of my mom's coworker, he said, well, let's, you know, like Jim's starting this program, like, let's go talk to him. And so I went into this meeting and, uh, and he had his new, newly hired junior coach there, Frodo Lillefell. And we kind of sat down over an hour and I'd brought in my training logs and we kind of talked about like skiing and what was possible and, and what they thought like my strengths were and everything. And I left that conversation a little bit intrigued about what could be possible in cross country skiing. And within a couple of weeks of starting that training program, I really switched my goals from running to like, hey, I want to try to make the world junior team this year. And I kind of want to, I'm going to, I started roller skiing for the first time. And um, so that was, you know, like being in the right place at the right time, like a little bit of the injury experience to make me think about like, well, is running what I really want to do? Getting introduced to this new ski program that just happened to be uh, this coaching staff that really thought about skiing differently. Um, and then me starting to like feel, um, see that my strengths played well to it and, and off from there. And so, you know, had I joined a different program, would I have had the same mindset? I'm not sure. So it's just amazing how um, some of those things to game together. And then I think once I was in that, um, that club environment with Jim and Froda, um, I was able to uh, qualify for World Juniors and go over. And they had just, the sprint was just coming in. And that was a, um, an event that I excelled at right away. So I think the fact that I was able to get good results at World Juniors in the sprint 
really helped like my confidence and it made me start to feel like, whoa, actually, I think it might be possible to be good in this sport. And then also the fact that the 2002 Olympics were in Salt Lake City, the sprint was being contested for the first time. And that was all coming a year after high school. I mean, it was a little crazy to think about making the Olympic team at 19 years old. But to me, it was like, I, I just kind of went for it. And I think because of the, the sprint that helped me out a lot. And, uh, you know, maybe the depth of the women's program at the time um, allowed me to kind of come in and be successful. We took a big team to Salt Lake because we were the home team. So that opened up some possibility. So I think I've, I've certainly done the work and had the talent, but I think there has also been some really good, um, good luck maybe in, at the same time. So can you tell us about the experience of actually going to the Olympics in 2002 as such a fresh young face to the sport and kind of your experience and thoughts when you were participating in the Olympics after being such a fresh face to the sport and so young and inexperienced, I guess you could say. Yeah, to think back to that whole 2002 experience now, um, it really was um, so much excitement and inspiration, but also such a reality check at the same time. Um, because like you mentioned earlier, my ascension was super quick. First thing I made world juniors, I had good results there. I, I made the world championship team my senior year of high school, and I got to compete there. And then the year after that, I make the Olympics. Like the trajectory was just super steep and that was exciting. And it had been my lifelong dream to compete in the Olympics um, and to be able to do it as a member of the home team, like literally in the city I was born. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, but at the same time, I got my butt kicked. Um, I finished 61st, I think, in the um, one-day pursuit. I only got to ski the 5K classic portion. And I remember coming back to the wax cabin after that race. Um, and on one hand, I knew that that was probably the best performance I had had all season, like my best 5k classic I'd maybe ever done in my life. Um, I was within, I think a minute of Nina Kempel, who was our top us finisher. And I hadn't been that close to her in a 5k classic. So it was a really good performance, but at the same time, only top 50 made it onto the next round. So it felt like a big disappointment to be 61st because you, you get at the Olympics and you can't help, but feel like it's all about medals. And if you're not competitive for a medal, like, are you really worth, you know, worth anything? Um, and so I was balancing that of like trying to remind myself that number one, this Olympic experience was a stepping stone to eventually being in a position to win medals. Um, and that I was, I had an amazing performance and I needed to be proud of that, but fighting off this external expectation that, um, that I, you know, wasn't competitive for the medals. So, you know, what was I, what was I doing there? Was I an imposter? So, um, so that was really interesting, but I did my best. I think I, I thankfully had um, some coaches that helped me keep perspective. Um, I really just tried to recognize like, Hey, this is my first Olympics. I'm here to get experience. Um, and I'm ultimately going to get to where I want competitively um, down the line. Um, the funny thing was right after the Olympics, I went to junior nationals and I got beat <laughs> in a couple of races. So, you know, make the Olympic team really cool, but it was very humbling to then go to junior nationals and get beat by, uh, by athletes who didn't make the Olympic team the next year. And I, I really am grateful for that experience now because, you know, if everything had just, you know, seemed like, oh, I'm, I'm at this level now and I wasn't quite there, you know, would I have had uh, the grit to really work it, work out over the next several years to actually get to a point where I could be competitive for medals? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So at this point, you went on to compete in five Olympics. You had 262 World Cup, World Championship, and Olympic starts between 2001 and 2018. So we have a lot to talk about. Rather than going through your amazing career piece by piece, I'd like to zoom, to step back and zoom in and out here and there, and then not only catch up to your present life, but also your get your perspective on a variety of topics, which I think is going to be really interesting. So can we start out by visiting the 2011 season? You finished third in the, in the Sprint World Cup, which you won the next three seasons, the overall Sprint World Cup, as well as you finished third overall in the 2013 overall World Cup. Amazing. You were at the top of the sport. Can you please tell us about how you got to that point? So post-Olympics and to that point, mentors, principals that might have helped you, key factors in your progress. 
Yeah, well, I think this, this is the perfect question to tee off of that 2002 discussion because um, I vividly remember standing in the, in the crowd watching Becky Scott go up on the podium when she got um, third in the, in the one day pursuit, ultimately upgraded to gold, we know. Um, but watching her there stand on the podium, I really, um, and looking, literally looking to my side and seeing the banner that said, light the fire within. I just kind of went, I'm, my fire is lit. Like I'm ready to, I want to, I want to be up there like Becky. And so when I finished the season and we did our season review, I sat down with the coaches and I said, I want to win a medal. So help me understand what it's going to take to get there. And so Jim, Jim being like, so technical, he was really good about like, okay, well, your fist points are here, you know, and we started to take like the Olympics and break it down. Well, if you're going to be competitive at the Olympics, you got to be a podium at world championships. If you're going to be podium at world championships, you need to start getting podiums on world cup. If you're going to get podiums on world cup, well, then you got to get top five and top 10. And so we started to kind of build back from that Olympic goal until we had all the benchmarks from where I was now to, to that medal. And as we mapped it out, it was going to take 10 seasons to reasonably get there. And at 19 years old, that was very daunting. Um, thankfully I was young and ambitious and naive. And I went, well, okay, they think it's going to take 10 years, but I'm going to get there way faster. Um, and then I also had these very clear like goals and benchmarks of things to focus on every season that if I could get those, it was going to build me up to the point where I was ready. So I really credit um, being able to map out that process into manageable chunks um, to have coaches who didn't laugh at me when I said I wanted to win a medal. They said, great, let's figure out how to get you there. Um, I'm really lucky to be in a program like APU that could support me in the year round training that I needed to kind of spend, I think from 19 to 23 was a really crucial period for me because I needed to be able to increase my volume of training at a, at a reasonable level. I needed to do it without too many other things competing for my energy and attention. So I was able to go to school at a pace that meshed with my training and my racing. Um, but it wasn't, you know, overwhelming. There weren't certain rules about what I had to stick to. Um, I was able to be, you know, in a, where I grew up. So I had a great support system. And over that four years, I got to kind of build up. And this was kind of what the idea that Jim had introduced to me right off the bat was the reason we haven't been successful in American skiing perhaps is because we are trying to put our athletes through this, this very important development period when there are so many other competing things and they're maybe just not getting the racing experience and the training they need. So if we can keep you supported through that period and you're not falling behind your um, athletes in the rest of the world, you know, maybe that will make the difference. And I believe in that idea. Um, and, and so I spent those four years. It wasn't easy. Um, I remember at the 2005 world championships, um, I finished dead last in the 10 K I was missing home. We got pulled out of the relay cause we were ready to be lapped by Norway. Um, and all of a sudden, like my 10 year plan felt like it was slipping away. Like I, I started to like wonder if it was possible. I also, by that point, like all my, um, all the kids I graduated from high school with were finishing their university degrees. They were doing things. And I was still like not quite proving myself, but that next year, the 2006 Olympics, all of a sudden that four years kicked off, kicked in. I got top 10 at the Olympics, top five on world cup, qualified to race on world cup full time. So it was amazing how critical those like periods of time were and having those benchmarks to kind of keep me motivated to the tough times when I, when my belief was wavering. And then seeing that, that breakthrough and then know that that was then putting me into the next level. Um, and so by the time I got to the 2011 season, you know, that, uh, that's nine years from 2002, that's almost the 10 year plan. So that 10 year plan, it, it really was the amount of time I needed to develop my training, my race experience, um, my life experience to really be in a position. And I think in 2011, and it really kind of actually happened a little bit in the 2010 season. Um, you know, I was uh, a top 10 at the Olympics in the classic sprint. I led the relay and I finished off the final three seasons of the World Cup with some breakthrough results. Um, so it just, it really, everything started to click. And um, so, you know, thankfully, you know, it took me eight, eight or nine years to get there. I think what, what's cool now to see is that a lot of that was, was building up the confidence and the belief and, and also it's like some things about training. And now we know all of that. So now you can see the next generation of skiers coming through. It's not taking them nine years to figure that out. 
you know, they're already showing that at world, the world junior level. And um, I'm kind of excited to know that um, all this work we did together as, as a team is, is now knowledge that's lifting um, skiing in this country up to even greater heights. So this is, in my mind, extremely important for everyone to understand. Basically, we have a super talented, motivated athlete who is willing to do whatever it takes to get to the top. That in itself isn't that unique, I don't think. You know, there are, like, I would have done anything. I, I, I would have, if the coach said train thousands of hours, I would have done it, you know. And, um, but in your case, I think you also got the help, the, uh, some really good wisdom from Jim and some really good, some planning that was realistic. And, and then you became a pioneer in doing so. Um, I know that there have been great female skiers before you, like Allison Kiesel and Martha Walkwell and Nina Kempel, for example, is an amazing athlete in person. There have been a lot of them. But the reality is, at least from my perspective, is you, you're, you've been a pioneer. That planning had to be done, and you had to gain that belief for yourself, whereas the people that came after you could look at Keegan Randall and say, okay, this is how she did it, and she's shown me that it's possible. So in my mind, you really were and are a pioneer and an example in getting there. And, and I look at Scandinavia or Germany, different, different programs in Norway, and they have this built in already where they have athletes in clubs with their youth, their juniors, their seniors, and they're all successful at their at respective levels. And the, the youth of the junior lives right near, like on the same street as the successful senior and says, well, I know this person and he or she came from the same street as I did, the same everything. We eat the same food. We actually had the same junior coach doing the same program. I believe I can get there. And, and you are that, finally. You were the first wave of that, which is really, really difficult to do because a major part of this is not only the belief in yourself and believing it's possible, but also the belief in the system, you know, in Jim's plan, in the coaching he received. And, and so it's remarkable that you've been able to serve as a pioneer and, and provide this for so many others who are also talented and driven, but, but you didn't have that example that they had. You did, but not to the level that they had, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's really fun to get to go back and look at all the different pieces that really came in to make it successful. You know, I, I, I was super fortunate to have some incredible guidance along the way that, that kind of planted these ideas and, and helped maybe take some of the natural tendencies in my personality and really make them strengths for me. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the, you know, getting involved with gold 2002, which ultimately became APU was super pivotal. I mean, Jim and his vision were, were really important um, early on. And then, you know, Froda was my first junior coach and he was just one of those people that just got you so excited when you're out training and he just made you feel, made you believe that anything was possible and to just have that right away. And then, um, you know, to be able to go to the Olympics early and then, um, all these things, I, you know, I look back and one of my biggest challenges uh, in those early years was, was my grandfather. He, he wanted me to be an Olympian. Um, he loved, you know, he loved that idea. But once I had had the experience in Salt Lake, he was kind of like, all right, you're going to go to school and get a professional degree now. Right? Like, why would you ski race? There's no, there's no future. You're, you know, you, there's nothing to say you're going to get good results and you're not going to make any money. So you should, you know, go to school. And I kept having to tell him like, no, I have bigger ambitions here. I, I believe I can do it. It's just going to take time. And from 19 to 23, I constantly had that conversation with him. And, uh, you know, there were times, especially when the results weren't coming, where you're starting to go, shoot, is he right? Like, have I made the wrong decision? But thankfully, I had kind of the support and these things to keep going. And then um, once, once I really feel like once I broke through at 23 um, with that top 10 at the Olympics and, and the World Cup and then started racing on the World Cup full time, then, then I started to kind of feel like the path was really possible and, and just got really good at finding success in small places. And yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of, uh, I've been teammates with a lot of really talented athletes along the way um, that just haven't had things click to quite the same degree I have. Um, but it is cool to know that all the efforts given have now built a system that can support our athletes going forward. And I am, I'm the biggest fan of our, of our team, our current team, our upcoming team, I can't wait to see what heights they're going to take it. You, used, you said the phrase, I got really good at finding success in small places. 
what does that mean exactly? I, this is something I know you're very good at, so it needs to be expanded on. Sure. Well, um, kind of off that initial concept of taking the 10-year the plan and breaking it into benchmarks, um, I started to do that um, particularly when I was racing on the World Cup at the beginning because I may get a good result one weekend, but then I might go back into the 50s and 60s the next weekend. And so because I was kind of having to put in the time and gain the experience, every World Cup race, I would try to look at from three different perspectives. I would say, okay, what was the result on the page? What was my time back from the winner? Um, and um, what, what is that result in comparison with, with this, like this season or with last season? And I started keeping this Excel spreadsheet. And so I would log every race with all these different parameters, my fist points, my rank, my time back, so that I could, um, and then I would color code it by season. So I could kind of see like, where am I at? And then that gave me the opportunity every race to learn something. Even if I was in the 60s, there may have been a small like, well, I was closer to leader than I've ever been in that event. Or okay, um, you know, that race I really battled with like my psychology or something. So I need to really work on that. Um, so it gave me a chance to, even though the result sheet didn't look spectacular, I could see that I was improving and I was improving from season to season. And I think between 2006 and 2011, that was really important because it would have been easy to get over and be on the World Cup full time and just feel like you're just getting beat up and like, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting anywhere. But you know, at first it was a top 30 and then it was a top 25 and, and then, and then it's the consistency. And that was something I really just really came to realize when my younger teammates started coming on the world cup because they would get a big result and then they would go back into the, like, you know, and they would get really frustrated because they would think that they, once they got that top result, they needed to be there all the time. But I think how you become successful in cross country over the long term is your consistency. So it's, if your average result is 40th and the next season it's 35th, that's progress. And you just have to know you're going to get good ones and then you're going to get some bad ones, but you're going to learn from them and you're just going to keep shifting. And as long as things are kind of on the trajectory up, um, you're getting where you want to go. And you, you just never know when things come together and you accelerate to a totally different level. Um, That's fascinating to me. I, I probably could have used some of that wisdom myself a few years ago. Um, <laughs> When you go to the World Cup and you're out there grinding it out, it was incredible competition, you know, banging heads against the best in the world. As you pointed out, it's, it's easy to feel like you're either non-competitive or you're not making any progress. And what sometimes is really difficult is you come home and you see in, for example, the U.S. National Championships, and then everyone says, holy crap, why didn't you feel like that when you're in Europe? Have you heard that before? Back in the day, you have, obviously later in your career you didn't hear it, but what I mean is, oftentimes when you're in Europe, you're doing these races and each one of those is equivalent to a US national championship title. But no one notices because you're in the 40s or 50s or whatever. And then you come home and it's, it's so easy to get all the praise and the recognition we're doing well and people think there's no way she was skiing that fast over there. And that, that, that's a really strong negative reinforcement. So, so if you have those benchmarks like you had where you have some objective measurements in many different ways, because there are a lot of different ways you can be good or bad, that, that would be to strengthen the experience and, and less objective. That must've been really helpful for you. It is, and then what's cool is it's a really internal process too. You're not trying to justify it for anybody else. You're justifying it to yourself. So you're saying like, okay, I'm seeing improvement. I'm getting better. And, and maybe no one else is gonna notice for a while, but all that matters is that I know I'm improving. Um, and I found that really powerful. Like um, in 2010, you know, the season before I'd won a silver medal in the sprint at world championships. So coming into 2010, you know, NBC and the media wanted to say, well, like Keegan, are you a threat for a medal in the sprint? And of course the techniques were flip-flopped. It was a classic sprint in Vancouver. So I knew going in that a big goal for me was going to be to get through to the semifinals. That was something I'd never done in a classic sprint on world cup or anywhere. So that was a challenging goal. And I wanted to see if I could do it. But of course, that's not sexy to the media. They want to know if you're going to win a medal or not. So I go into those Olympics. I end up getting eighth. I make it to the semifinals. I narrowly miss making the final. Huge success. Right. Does anyone want to celebrate it? No. Eighth place. That's not special. But I knew it was. And I knew where it fit on my trajectory. 
And that was a tremendous confidence boost that really helped over the next four years. Absolutely. So here's a, a fun question, I think. Was there a particular moment when you suddenly realized that you had arrived and could compete with the best in the world and win? Uh, I really think that uh, my ninth place in the Olympic sprint in Torino was a huge breakthrough for me um, because I, that day um, I didn't really know what to expect of myself. I remember my pre-race workout uh, on the course the day before did not feel great. And I knew that I had set the personal expectation for myself to finish in the top 20 as part of my plan to the, you know, um, so I, I knew I was holding myself to that standard. It, you know, physically was feeling like a very challenging goal. I didn't know. I ended up going out. I, I ended up like having a conversation with my health, myself that night. And I just said, you know what? I've just got to go out there and ski as hard as I can tomorrow. I can't think too much about the expectation. So I was, I just was determined. I was just going to ski as hard as I could. Um, I surprised myself with the 10th place in the qualification. So I remember kind of going like, whoa, okay, actually things might be going okay today. That was exciting because it got me into the quarterfinals. And you have to remember that back then, this was, that was the first season they expanded the, the quarterfinals from six, the top 16 to the top 30. So prior to that, I'd, you know, most championships I'd been watching from the sidelines. So to be in the quarterfinals at the Olympics was like, woohoo. And then I had a great quarterfinal and I ended up making it in the semifinals. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, and that was, you know, the top 10. Um, so that to me was like, wow, I feel competitive with these girls. And I think with a little bit more experience, I may have been able to, to hold my own in those races a bit more. Like I let Petra Maidich kind of ski me off the course because I didn't know how to ski confident in that group. But after that experience, you better bet I did. Um, and from there, and then the next or two weeks later at the world cup in Borlanga, I ended up making it to the B final and I finished fifth and I got to go to the awards ceremony. And I'm standing there with Ariana Folis and Marit Bjorgen, and I'm going like, holy cow, you know, well, I've, you know, I'm doing it. I'm here with these girls. And from then on, you know, it was, it was still a couple of seasons before I was consistently competing for podiums with them. But from then on, I believed. Cool. That's awesome. So the last, I don't know, 20 minutes that we've been talking, 15 minutes have been full of a lot of wisdom and kind of a showing the way a little bit, but what advice would you give to young athletes today with lofty World Cup and Olympic dreams? Um, well, I'm, uh, first off, like I'm cheering for those dreams um, because I think now having lived it, it is one of the most coolest way, it is one of the coolest ways to spend your life. Um, I look back on all the incredible people that I met, the places I traveled, um, what it meant to be so focused on a, on a goal and to work on it, you know, uh, day after day, season after season, um, build your body into this incredible fit, strong uh, machine. I mean, I think it is totally worth the time, even if you ne never quite achieve the actual like medals or goals you set for yourself, like the journey of it. I know it sounds cliche, but the journey really is incredible. Um, but it is a journey, you know, it is, it is a sport that takes patience and time. And, um, you know, I think we have learned a lot of things to make the timeline a lot shorter than it was for me. Um, and that's, I think that's helpful, but you still have to be ready to, to put in some time, uh, to get really good at, at building up your consistency. Um, and, uh, you know, I just hope that we have enough, um, athletes that, feel like this is a, a worthy thing to go after and that they can get support in in those years it takes to kind of build up to to success um but you should definitely go for it i mean i think it's worth it's it's worth its weight in gold um you know regardless of the medals cool. as a person who devoted most much of his life or most of his life to uh, achieving excellence in skiing who never won a an international medal, I can say it was worth it too. <laughs> yep. It's blessed my life, but um, some people probably listen to you and say, well, easy for you to say. I'm, I'm raising my hand too, and I don't have any international medals. Mm -hmm. So as the overall Sprint World Cup champion in 2012, 2013, and 2014, the ski world hoped and even expected that you would show your brilliance in the individual skate sprint which finally returned to the Olympic Games in Sochi in 2014. However, to everyone's surprise, you were eliminated in the quarterfinal. 
it turns out that you had sustained a back injury in December. However, I should also say you also still won the overall Sprint World Cup that year. So you had a good winner, clearly, but not the Olympic Games you were looking for. This must have been very difficult for you to deal with both on a personal level, knowing that you had to wait another eight years for this opportunity. And then eight years later, you'd probably not be competitive for another shot. And because of the expectations from your adoring public who are wishing you success so much, which obviously brings also quite a lot of pressure. Can you please talk about this experience? It must have been a defining and difficult time for you. It was. <laughs> it really was. I mean, it, it's, it's such a mixed bag. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, one of the more important experiences I think I've ever gone through in my life. So the, the cool part about coming into those games was how much confidence I had personally in being able to legitimately win an Olympic gold medal. I mean, some, you know, in the lead up, as I thought about how possible that was going to be, it was just like, I can't believe that this process worked. I thought back to that 2002 planning session where we, you know, a medal was ridiculous. And here I was in a position to win an Olympic gold medal, having so much confidence. Um, you know, coming into those games, it was brand new territory for me and really for our team because no one had been in that position. It was finally a chance to get the national spotlight on our sport and our team, you know, um, and that was exciting. Um, and it presented some opportunities that had never been available before, but there was also no way to know how to manage it all. And it was a hard balance of like wanting to take advantage of the, the, the storytelling opportunities, um, but also stay focused on training. And, and so, you know, I knew, uh, that I needed to, you know, prioritize training. And I did, I tried to keep that at the forefront, but I also tried to, you know, take advantage of some of these opportunities and it was just new territory. Um, so I was kind of learning as I went. And I think for the most part, I managed it pretty well. I did, I did get overwhelmed at points with all the media interviews and requests and, and everything, but I just tried to see it as a cool opportunity. Um, you're talking about going into the Olympic games. Yep. Okay. So this is going into Sochi. Um, so um, World Cup season kicks off. I'm in fantastic form. Um, I'm on the podium in Ruka in a classic sprint. Uh, you know, I, I narrowly got out lunged by Mart Bjergen at the, the sprint in Davos. So like, you know, I am in form just like I want to be. Um, I had decided to stay in Davos to do a two week training prep uh, work, um, camp instead of doing the tour to ski. And one day into my training camp, I was warming up my hands and I, and I tweaked my back. And uh, so um, I hobbled home and instead of doing the intervals I was supposed to do that day, this interval block, I spent the better part of two weeks just trying to get myself back to a point where I could ski again. And um, so I burned up that two weeks recovering. Uh, we had two World Cup sprints, one in uh, Nova Mesto, one in Slarska Pareba. Um, I ended up winning both of those sprints, um, but they were really short sprints. Um, and I, the, the training conditions around those races weren't great. So basically I raced some really like high lactate, really intense short sprints, but I wasn't able to balance it out with volume. Um, then uh, the, the last World Cup before we went to Sochi was in Tobolok and I made it to the final. But kind of when I went to access my, my typical gears in the end of the race, they weren't quite there. And I couldn't, I, I would plan to try to get away over this hill and I just, I didn't get away. So I ended up like fifth in that sprint. And at that point I was starting to get this feeling like something wasn't quite right, but you're so close to the Olympics. You can't let those things enter your mind. So you're telling, I'm just telling myself, okay, well, that was a fluke and I've still, you know, I'll be ready for the games. Um, but I think what that was, was an indication that because that back injury had altered my training a bit, um, what uh, my physiology wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be going into those games. But again, I just said, I put that out of sight, out of mind, and I focused on what I needed to do in Sochi. And, you know, there was a lot of media attention and I did my best to just to really stay focused on the process. Um, the benefit of Sochi was it was my fourth Olympic games. And I know that while the Olympics is the biggest carrot in the sport, and I wanted to win that gold medal so bad. I also had the perspective that it's one day and anything can happen on one day. So I said, the day before the race, I made myself a promise. And that is, 
I'm going to go out there tomorrow and I'm going to ski the best I possibly can. I'm going to take risks. I'm not going to back down. You know, I'm going to do everything in my power to put myself in a position to win that gold medal. And as long as I do that, no matter what the result, I'm going to walk away satisfied. So I tried to make it not about the medal and more about the effort. Um, the next day came, uh, you know, it was kind of crazy conditions in Sochi, as we know. Um, I got into the, I ended up qualifying uh, 17th or 18th, like not a great qualification, but um, ended up in the fifth quarterfinal, um, which ended up being kind of one of the more stacked quarterfinals. Um, so I was with uh, Bjorgen and Denise Herman, who were, who were also gold medal favorites. My strategy was to drop everybody up the climb. I hammered, you know, I got to the front, uh, coming into the stadium, uh, the, the draft kind of the, the advantage I'd gained over the top of the hill, they were able to pull right back into my draft. And when I came off the final turn, I went for those gears and I just, I didn't have the gear and I fought with everything I had over that last hundred meters. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, they were able to get around me and, and it came down to a photo finish for third to advance as lucky loser. And it came down to five hundredths of a second. And I was always a racer. I got better through the rounds. Like if I'd gotten through the quarterfinals, you know, I think I would have been better in the semi and the final, but you know, racing is racing. And uh, so in the finish area, I, you know, I was, I was in shock. Uh, it was, you know, disappointment for sure. But I also reminded myself of that promise I'd made. And I knew uh, I went out and fought with everything I had and, uh, you know, it wasn't enough, but I was, I was satisfied with the effort and I really tried to put that day behind me and move right on to the next, the next three, um, races. And, uh, you know, the gears also weren't, weren't quite what they needed to be in those next three races. But what was funny is at the end of those Olympics, um, I kind of had to decide whether I wanted to, to race three more weeks of world cup or whether I'd just been too beat up. And I just wanted to say, forget it. I need to get away from this. And I knew that I needed to see the season through because I would always regret if I walked away with unfinished business and I was still in a fight for the overall. So the next weekend I ended up coming out and I won the sprint Lottie and I, my, I was firing with all my gears and it turned out, I think that the racing I did in Sochi was what my body needed to get back to where, uh, to my, my top strength. And I ended up finishing the season with great results and winning that, um, that overall world cup for the third year in a row. And, you know, it was definitely disappointing to know that I, that I'd lost my opportunity for a, a chance in the individual sprint. And then it was, you know, with eight more years to wait, I probably wasn't going to be uh, going, you know, skiing at that point. So I saw that chance slip away, but I could also be really proud of the fact that, um, you know, still fought for that overall world cup. And, uh, um, and I just, I just kind of knew that um, it wasn't going to be the moment that defined me. It was, it was just so cool to know that I'd been in that position. And, and I think it really motivated me to ski another four years, which gave me four more years of being in the sport, being with my team. And, you know, it ultimately ended in a, a gold medal in Pyeongchang, but I, yeah, I think that was not winning that medal is almost probably the best thing that ever happened to me. So that was exciting and invigorating to hear your kind of rundown. Could you please build on the skill if, if let's say if um, during most of my career, if I were to finish worse than I had hoped or expected, it was kind of a, a conversation I had to have with myself because I didn't have a whole bunch of media people saying, hey, we're here because you're going to win today. And then that sets an expectation for millions of others who are fans, et cetera. I didn't, I was never in a position like that, you know, Sometimes it's a hometown hero kind of thing. There's, there's, you know, high school and college and so on. You have some expectations, but that's easier to manage. And I think there's a skill that's really important, not only for successful people like yourself, but also for people who, who want to kind of own the experience themselves as to what you alluded to before, which is manage expectations of others, as well as your own expectations, like manage them. There's a lot of skills in doing that. I think in the current international crowd in the United States, from what I've seen, Jesse Diggins is masterful at that. She can fail, and I'm using big quotes here because that's yeah. not a fail, you know, getting, let's say, fifth in the in World Championship Olympics, and everyone telling her she's a failure, and, she, and her kind of growling back and saying, the heck I did, I gave my best today, and I'm proud of myself. Previously, no one would have dared to say that, 
much less they weren't in that position to, to quote unquote fail as fifth place, you know. But that's such an important thing to not only be able to do on the international level, but on a personal level and on a regional level where, where you define what success and failure for yourself and you make peace with it and you move on. Can you talk about that? Because you're obviously very good at it as well. And that's a really important skill for people to enjoy the experience of racing. Yeah, well, I think, I think it's a skill that's cultivated over, over many small experiences. Um, you know, it starts with, you know, a bad workout. If you, if you have a bad workout and you can't get over it, if you can't find, you know, a little bit of success, if you can't accept it and see it as a stepping stone to something else, you're never going to make it long-term in this sport because it, it's, there are a lot of tough moments and disappointments that you have to talk yourself through in order to get to the high stakes. And so I think it was a lot of practice over time. Um, but like I said, my perspective when I was coming into Sochi was like, you know, I want to win this medal. I'm going to give everything I, I have to get it. Um, you know, I know how much it's going to mean to people if I can do it. Um, what it's going to mean for our sport and all this stuff. So I, I felt like I was acknowledging the external um, expectations and I wanted so badly to deliver on those expectations um, for everybody who had, who had supported me and worked on this. And, um, but I also knew that it was one day out of, you know, my entire career. And, uh, and so I, I guess I knew in the back of my mind, that there was a possibility that something could happen. Well, while I felt that gold medal was so possible, I also knew that it wasn't guaranteed. And that's why I really reminded myself to be focused on the effort because at the end of the day, that's what you live with as a person. Like, you know, whether you gave everything you had. And if I give everything I have, I have a really good feeling. I have no regrets. And to me, that is worth way more than any medal or accolade that I could ever get. And I had learned that about myself. And so, you know, I'm not going to say it wasn't disappointing and I didn't feel the weight of those expectations and I didn't spend a couple of days like really having conversations with myself in my head about acknowledging all that I've learned from the experience and then also saying like, okay, that's behind me now and I've got to look forward to the next thing. Um, it, but it's a skill that's so important. And, and the other thing that I thought about literally as I was walking through the mix zone after the quarterfinals was, you know, a lot of people look to me um, as, as someone to be a role model and to inspire. And it's, it's really cool to be able to do that as like, hey, work hard um, and all your dreams come true. But that's not real life. Oftentimes we put everything we have, we give everything we have, and we fall short of the goal or the expectation. And, but yet that's okay because we did the effort, we're learning from this. And at the end of the day too, this is like, it's a ski race. Like I look down and I'm like, I'm alive, you know, and I have this amazing life that's not going to change because I didn't win a gold medal. And so by the time I left the mix zone, I was like, you know what? I, now when I talk to kids, when I talk to people about what, um, you know, what I can, wisdom I can share, this is going to be a really important lesson that it's about your effort and knowing you did everything you could and then being proud of that, learning from it. And then just kind of refocusing on the next thing you can look forward to and go after. So there's two aspects of this that I want to continue to talk about. The first is um, it seems like you have had outside of you mentioned you broke your back and so on, but since you became an elite athlete, it seems like that might have been the first major setback that you've had. In other words, you, you were like the shooting star that kept exceeding expectations. And that was the first time it seemed like you did not exceed expectations, but rather in many people's eyes, you fell short of expectations. And that's something that is, it can affect your motivation and it can affect your enjoyment of the sport. And it's something that if you're not used to dealing with it, and I don't think you were necessarily, although you might've been super strong in your mind and really wise, I'm not sure you had to deal with that before. Um, do you have any tips on having how to deal with that or maybe some, some aspect of the experience that, that is worth mentioning? Sure, well, um, you know, I think there were some experiences leading into Sochi that um, set me up well to be able to deal with this. So, um, you know, in 2008, uh, I won the World Cup in Rabinsk, you know, first, my first World Cup win in December of 2007. 
um, I struggled really the rest of the season. I didn't put up any like pod any more podiums that season. Then at the end of that season is when I got a blood clot and I, you know, almost got taken out of the sport completely. Um, thankfully again, I recovered from that and I worked my way back. And part of my motivation for working back was I set the goal for myself to win a medal in Librec in 2009 and the whole season leading into Librec did not say I was going to win a medal. But I had set that as my goal and I did everything I could and, and came into those games like, you know what, uh, I know I've done good training and I've just got to go out and ski with what I have. And I ended up surprising myself and getting that silver medal. Um, then in, um, in 2011, I won the two World Cup sprints leading into the Oslo World Championships. So everybody was considering me a gold medal favorite in the skate sprint there. And I got, not, uh, uh, got caught in a crash in the quarterfinals and, and got eliminated in quarterfinals. So, um, and that time I had really felt like the expectation to, to win. So yeah, I guess by the time I got to Sochi, I had been through it a couple of times and maybe that's what inspired that, that kind of conversation in my head the day before the race about really being focused on the, on the effort and everything. Um, and I really do believe that it's just, it is, it is that, that self-talk um, and acknowledging um, what you can control and what you can't. And I guess what I learned through a lot of those other um, experiences was, you know, I was dealt a setback. Um, in some cases, it was something I couldn't control. You know, if it was an injury, I couldn't just magically make it disappear. Um, so I had to focus on the things that I could do. And by, by keeping myself kind of focused and patient on the things I could do, I was able to kind of work myself back to a point where even though I didn't know it yet, I was ready to perform. And perhaps because I'd gone through that setback, it had maybe taken some expectation off because I didn't know exactly what I was going to be able to do. And then I come out with this breakthrough result. So the only thing kind of different about Sochi was, um, you know, I really came in with a very strong expectation for myself. Um, and there was a lot of attention around it. And this was, this was the biggest chance, um, you know, and ultimately I couldn't, I couldn't deliver on it. And that was hard. Um, but I, I had so much, I just continued that work internally of reminding myself of um, all the good work that I'd done, um, all the things that were still good about my life that were going forward. Um, and that, you know, I didn't get it this time, but maybe that was going to keep me motivated to try again. Right. Super. Man. So here's the other aspect of this that I want to explore. And it's a little different. You've basically been fit and at the top of your game your whole life. Still, you're super fit. Having said that, I know, for example, before the Berkey, you'll do hours and hours and hours, you know, basically dark to dark of talks and meeting with people and, and so on. And you do that for a couple of days, like I do at the Berkey Expo every year. It's a different experience showing up to the start line at the Berkey, knowing that you've effectively sabotaged yourself and you don't remember what it's like to feel healthy because you're so dehydrated and energied out, you know, whereas no one realizes that. And then you do the event and you do it on your own terms, knowing you have to be merciful with yourself and understanding with yourself, but no one else understands that. Um, and so you do understand what I'm about to say because of that, because you've done plenty of that. Um, when pretty successful or very successful athletes retire from full-time racing, they have a choice. My wife is done racing for life. She's not a person who wants to kind of be judged when she races, you know, use someone else's measuring stick. There are a lot of other people that, that fall in that category. I'm stubborn like that. I love racing. I don't care. I'm just stubborn as heck. So like uh, the year after we, the year we had, I think it was here we had Hazel, my, our first daughter. I called that the fat year. I worked super hard. I stayed up really late. I was low on sleep. I ate crappy. I was in terrible shape. I did three races that winter. And, and I finished that race. I remember thinking when I finished it, that was the best race I'd done that year. And it was super fun. However, <laughs> I was something like three hours for a, for a 50K and I was in horrible shape. And my result was the worst result of my career by far. You know, I mean, I was in terrible, terrible shape. And I remember people coming up to me after the race and saying, hey, Ian, how'd you do? And I said, great, because that's how I felt that I did. But I know for a fact they went and looked at the results and said, what the heck is he talking about? He was horrible. Yeah. I said, great, because I had a great day and I was happy with how I did that day. I tried really hard and so on. 
this isn't that different necessarily from what you're talking about because you have to have the strength to define your own definition of success or not and and even overcome your own pride so that your enjoyment in your experience isn't diminished by other people's expectations. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah, that's actually a great way to, to phrase it. Um, you know, you have to, to be content with yourself um, to, uh, you know, you got to think about like, what, what am I trying to get out of this? And I think, um, you know, the, the, the time I've spent doing events now since I've retired um, has been, uh, you know, having to kind of figure that out. Um, uh, but I ultimately kind of go, you know, look, I love, I love the sport. I love the way it makes me feel. I, I miss the fact that I get to like every weekend get to test myself, that I have very clear things that I'm working towards. And so, um, you know, while, while uh, I've had ambitions at the Berkey of like, you know, we, we're at the start line and I'm, you know, I'm surrounded by all these women that I've raced with a ton and we start off and it's fun for like a kilometer. And then all of a sudden the bottom drops out because I don't have the training and the fitness and everything. And they take off and it's, it is like, whoa, this is, I'm, you know, I'm struggling here. Like I have greater respect for the 50K now um, that I've done it a couple of times. Um, but yeah, I, I think every person's different. Um, for me, I, I love the sport. Um, I love the, the kind of the personal challenge in my head. Um, you know, even though it looks a little different than when I was in top, top shape competing for Olympic medals. Um, but ultimately, I love the challenge. Um, and I love... Uh, the feeling when I know I've pushed myself um, uh, and then you get to kind of that, that, that basking, you know, in the effort afterwards, it's funny because you're like in physical agony, but yet it feels like so good um, to have done that effort. And uh, um, I've just realized about myself that I, that I love that. So I want to continue doing that. And I also love the ski world and the community. Um, and since I don't just naturally get to see everybody all the time, these events are a great time to, to do everybody. Um, but I have, yeah, just had to kind of, um, be okay with the fact that I'm not going to be leading the pack anymore. Um, and then it's these workouts or these races are not going to feel as good as they used to. Um, but it's still, it's still fun to be out there and it's still fun to push. Absolutely. I mean, basically it's kind of a, a choice. Am I going to continue racing like that? Knowing that maybe some people are going to be judging me unfairly. You know, I thought Keegan Randall was fast. <laughs> kind of a thing, you know, in a few years that might be coming out or am I never going to race again and preserve my, my legacy kind of a thing. And that's, 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 that sounds tough, but that's really what's going on. I mean, that same fat year I was talking about, I did a race. It was a local race, but our local races are super competitive. John Alberg was in the race at the top of his career, more or less. And Tori Craftson was in the race and he was the US 50K national champion that year. And he won another race at nationals. And after the race, I had the race of my life as far as I was going. I had incredible skis. I was in horrible shape. Most of that fall, I've been using a health rider. Most people don't even know what a health rider was, but I was using that 30 minutes a day, uh, 30 minutes three times a week. That was most of my training through that fall. I just working super hard. And Tori, after the race, he did say it to me. He had some thoughts. And then he told me many years later, and I'm glad he didn't tell me then because I would have been really pissed. But he told me after that race, he was thinking like, what the heck? I thought that guy was fast. You know, me and Harvey, I thought he was fast. And I ended up not too far behind because my skis were ripping. But I remember the feeling that he was thinking that and it, it would like wounded me, but I was too stubborn to say, that's it, I'm not racing then, you know? And, it, and, and I didn't let it affect my enjoyment. And I think that's a key thing for people that, let's say they have an injury and like a master's racer, they have an injury or, or they've been working hard or an illness and they're supporting someone else through an injury and they're completely off their game do they allow themselves to continue to participate in sport, competitive sport, while not being at the top of their game and open themselves up to being judged and criticized like that? I think that's a really important thing to, to kind of clarify and be an example of. So I appreciate your comments very much. Yeah. And I think the other part too is like, um, I think you just have to decide like, you know, what, what, what am I working towards and what am I putting um, into the process? And when I was an athlete, you know, my full on 100% focus was uh, my performance. And so if I showed up at a race and I knew I hadn't done the training or whatever, um, you know, then that was something that I had to, I had to be prepared for. But nowadays it's like, I know my life is not oriented around training and preparing. So, 
knowing that I haven't done those things, I can't expect the same things of myself that I did when I was 100% focused on skiing. And you just kind of have to have that conversation with yourself and kind of set some real, real, realistic expectations. Um, and I think so often that we just, we make it so much about the result or what we think other people are thinking about us. Um, you know, I've had so many supportive comments. I, I've never felt pressure of like people th expecting me to be fast. I think they think it's cool that I still want to come out and race. Um, and, uh, you know, and I watched a couple other athletes retire before me and some race and some didn't. And I always thought it was really cool to see the athletes still continued to race just because they loved doing it, not because they cared about um, how they performed or, or what other people thought of them. So I've, I guess for me, I, I watched my role models and then just have decided this is important to me. And, um, and then I've been so happy the community has been supportive and, you know, likes to see me out there, even if I'm not winning the race. They sure do. <laughs> cool. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, but I think this is a good time to break, make, take a break because the next subject I want to bring up is going to take more than the time that we have. So I wanted to thank you for uh, giving, this is the first part of two parts with Keek and Randall. Um, and this has been very, I think, inspiring to this point. But the next part is we're going to talk about winning the gold medal. And um, she's also going to give her opinion on a lot of current issues and make recommendations. So the, part two is going to be very rewarding to listen to. So thank you very much, Keegan. I appreciate you being with us today with me. And we'll visit again shortly and finish the rest of this up. All right. It's been a blast. Let's keep it going on the next one. Cool. Thank you. <laughs>